The I Love You So Much podcast is proudly sponsored by Hilton. Discover Austin and choose from one of our many brands, including Hilton, Embassy Suites by Hilton, Doubletree by Hilton, Hampton Inn & Suites, and Home to Suites by Hilton. See more, save more. Stay at Hilton. Unlock local experiences at travel.hilton.com. Welcome to I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, a show for everyone caught up in an ongoing love affair with Austin, even if it's complicated. I'm Addie Broyles. And I'm Elizabeth Alice, coming to you from the shores of Ladybird Lake in the offices of the Austin American Statesman. Barbara Morgan had never been to a film festival when she started the Austin Film Festival 25 years ago. But with a little help from Ann Richards, she has built a week-long event that draws the best screenwriters in the country and some top-notch actors to boot. Statesman Features Editor Sharon Chapman and I spoke with Barbara about the history of the festival and how it has evolved in the internet era. We wrap it all up with the Austin 360 staff's picks for which superhero shows, sweet podcasts, and spooky films you should totally check out this week. But first, let's hear from Austin Film Festival founder Barbara Morgan about why she never wanted to recreate Sundance in the first place. Barbara Morgan, welcome to I Love You So Much. Thank you. Hi. Con- congratulations on 25 years of the Austin Film Festival. Thanks. That's thanks. a mighty accomplishment, and you've been there the whole time. I have been. We- I've been there literally since day one. This is, I, I got to hear how it all started. Um, well, you know, we, uh, I'm going to say I don't have a wine sponsor for this, but we had, uh, it was wine, <laughs> so <laughs> there was some wine involved, um, but we, uh, I had a, a friend, I got invited to a dinner party. Um, I did, I think I told you earlier, I dabbled in a film class at UT, but I did not choose that as a major and uh, went a, a route that would get me a job here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I always loved movies and my mom was a big movie lover. And so I spent a lot of time going to movies, a lot of my spare time. And, um, and then I got into some music stuff and worked with a bunch of musicians and, and in that process realized you know, production was something you did. Um, and I was at a dinner party at a wonderful um, lobbyist here in town, Sandy Sanford's house. And he happened to have Ann Richards' new film commissioner there. Uh, was a woman named Marlene Zaritsky. And uh, we were eating and drinking and lots of lots of folks were there. And somebody said, why is there no film festival in Austin? And I think I must have been on my second glass. Uh, so, so I, I said, oh, you know, I've been wondering the same thing, which I actually had been. And I said, but, you know, I, I'd like to do one. You know? and so that was it. And Marlene said, well, um, are you serious? And I just had enough courage to say, sure, yes, absolutely. Um, and I, I wrote a business plan because I actually had a finance background. And I sent it to her. She said, send it to me. And I did. Um, my dear friend, Joy Anderson, was there that night. She worked for Ann Richards, too. And uh, Ann Richards read it and said, we'd love somebody to do this. We'd, we're willing, we'd, we'd love to help you if you're serious. Wow. Um, so they helped fund it, Well, the first one. No. The or they just was, gave you support. They gave us support. But yeah. that support meant a lot. Yeah. Uh, we did have our very first big you know, party in the middle of the festival at the governor's mansion um she let us i would that. say that's some support it was oh it was, god bless you ann richards yeah thanks it, for, so how many movies did you have that first year oh gosh you know that's a really good question we, like a handful a dozen 
more than yeah, that. Yeah, it was pr- it was only four days that first year, and only four days. Yeah, only I'd four be lucky to have a one week, day. Right? <laughs> yeah, now okay. it's eight days, eight days, and and then we have a kickoff the night before, so we're really nine days. Um, we just called eight and lied to ourselves, and we. But you know that that I bet we didn't have more than forty films. It was probably thirty-five or forty. Wow! And they no, there were nothing anybody heard of. Nobody would give us a movie. It was really hard getting attention that way. But what they did do, and this was luck. Um, there was a man, uh, it, the Statesman, wrote an article. Michael McCambridge used to write the film section, and Michael um, knew we were doing the festival, and he wrote an article about it. And then we couldn't back out. <laughs> you had to do it then. Yeah, it was a little like, oh, this will be embarrassing. So so we moved forward, and that article came out in the paper, and, and a man named Fred Miller called us and said, you know, there's a lot of writers in this town. You should think about doing it around screenwriting. And at that point, South By said, oh, okay, we're going to do a festival too. And so it became this you know, competitive spirit, which drives Austin, I feel like, a lot. Um, and that, that was a a great idea. And we ran with that. We literally decided, okay, we knew, I happened to know a couple screenwriters. I knew, um, Al Ronit and Bill Broyles who had done Apollo 13 and, you know, I had met Bill Whitliff recently. And so there were a number of folks who, there were a lot of screenwriters here, a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, so there were a lot of writers here. This has always been a writer town. Mm -hmm. Everybody talks about it being a musician town, but I think, equally there are as many writers here mm-hmm. yeah. so it became a film fo- film festival with a focus on screenwriting and now 25 late 25 years later you're into podcasting and tv and you've really kept up with how media is changing so do you want to give us kind of the rundown of what this year's festival look, will look like yeah yeah um so this year we are uh, honoring roger corman and um that's going to be pretty pretty darn exciting for us and we're actually having an event uh where uh, Robert Rodriguez is going to show his favorite Roger Corman movie, and then he's going to interview Corman. And Corman, of course, has outlasted everybody. I think he's like ninety three, maybe ninety four. Um, so pretty, pretty cool. But we are also um, we've got Tony Gilroy coming in. Um, you know, of course, his great movie is Michael Clayton, um, but he's written those Bourne films and big action guy and. Uh, but a lot of also Dol- Dolores Claiborne, Claiborne, Dolores Claiborne. Um, you know, we've got uh, a big TV section that we always do, and by always you mean how long has that been going? Um, since about ninety nine, two thousand. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we brought we honored David Chase when The Sopranos first came out. So, and that was that that beginning the of moment. Course, yeah. yeah, and I, I was a huge David Chase fan anyway because he did the Rockford Files, which was oh, I one love of that my show. <laughs> that was one of my favorites. So you know, big, big difference though between it and The Sopranos. Yeah. <laughs> so. Gosh, so that's been to almost twenty years now. Uh huh. That's amazing. Yeah, Sharon, what do you love about the festival? You've covered it, well, attended. I I do love the panels. I mean, a lot of festivals you go to the panels and they're kind of afterthoughts and you don't get much out of them, but your panels are so packed with people and good information and. The people there are so open and friendly. I mean, I've been to Friday Night Lights panels, Ugly Betty mm-hmm. panels. Um, Pamela Ribbon has done some great panels. Mm-hmm. And you really feel like you can go up and talk to people afterwards. They're hanging out with everyone. I once walked up to Phil Rosenthal on the street and told him that my dad's favorite show was Everybody Loves Raymond. And <laughs> he was so nice about it. I'm sure he's heard that a million times. <laughs> but he could not have been nicer. And it just feels like 
it doesn't feel like there's a wall between the successful people and the aspiring people Mm -hmm. and that they are sharing real information. Um, I'm blanking on his name, but the guy who wrote the Pixar three screenplay, John Lasseter, Michael Arndt, Michael Arndt. Oh, the toy story, toy story. Sorry. Yeah. Not Pixar three toy story. Um, he does that amazing, amazing endings, uh, endings panel. And it, I went to that and it really changed how I felt about my own writing and what I focused on. And it was so accessible. It's not like, you know, you get a lot of writers things and you'll ask, what's your process? And they just tell you these, I think they're making up stuff because they, they, they need something to say. But he tells you very concrete yeah. things that you can translate to your own work. Yeah. And it's just amazing. And even if you're not, in, I mean, in film, it, just your newspaper writing. It just my so newspaper really writing. Neat. I mean, I've yeah. made short films for fun back in the day, but uh, it really did change how I approached everything. Yeah. And it just was so accessible and wonderful. And Well, you know, I'm, I'm actually not a writer at all. And uh, uh, it is amazing to me, not just because it's what I do every day. That sounds really... It sounds ridiculous, but it is still amazing to me because I love process. Mm-hmm. I just love the whole any. It's like how to how do things get made? How do they get out there? How do why do people connect with them? I just find that really fascinating, and that's what those guys do. So I mean, you have a, f- a festival about writers; they're automatically articulate, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. and, and they're hanging out in and walking around amongst the people. <laughs> well, and that was, I, I got to give that credit again to Fred Miller is that he said, you know, in addition to saying that, he said, don't be like all those, don't be like Sundance, don't be like those other festivals. He said, you know, <laughs> he said, have you ever been to a film festival? I said, no, and which is true. And he said, um, he said, well, you know, it's about people who are in and people who are out and, and, yes. and you want to include everybody because writers are not included in the process after they write the script usually in LA and and he was right and that made them embrace us because we were the first festival that ever basically honored the writer and gave him a voice and so right away the Academy of Motion Pictures um, and the Writers Guild uh, were were partners with us I mean they helped us immensely and and Frank Pearson was the president of the Writers Guild at the time who, you know, Dog Day Afternoon and um, Cool Hand Luke and, you know, really phenomenal writer, director. And he he was just like, really? You you girls in Austin, Texas are going to do this <laughs> for writers? And I think he kind of came down half looking at it like, uh, and, <laughs> and, the, and the reality was um, that we had this spirit here of people who were just so happy to get an audience that they never have. It's such a lone job as the screenwriter. Mm-hmm. TV's different because they actually have this room that they're part of mm-hmm. and it's such a different process and the writer in TV is more like the king. That You don't think of TV directors, you think of TV writers, creators. Mm-hmm. You know, in film you only think of the director even though the director is rarely, rarely the writer. Mm-hmm. And so they couldn't be more opposite. It's it's so bizarre. Um, and now, of course, everybody in film wants to be in TV. I was going to ask yeah. about that. Um, yeah. And rightly so, because they have so much control, way more control. You don't have mm-hmm. to get the same kind of notes that you get on a film. Absolutely. You know? so. so what what still gets you excited about the festival after all these years? It's, it's, you know, the community of people seeing them. Is it the chance to showcase some of these movies? You've got some A-list celebrities who will be here. I mean, I think that when you... I mean, lay people think of film festivals and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, where's the red carpet and who do I know who's going to be there if they don't necessarily know the screen screenwriters. But I know you probably get excited for all kinds of other reasons. I do, you know, and I, well, and I'll tell you what, um, 
you know, for years, it was just, for years, I was doing the, all the behind the scenes stuff. And that has always, was always my role, you know. And then when we started our TV show um, that's on, that started on KLRU, but now is on PBS stations all over the country, like 85% of PBS stations were on. And it's called On Story. And we, we taped everything from year one. And so all of a sudden it was just this archive in a closet, you know, that we needed that closet space back. <laughs> so we had to figure out something else to do with it. And, and we, we came up with a show that's now on TV and radio and books and stuff. And th- that ended up, I ended up doing a lot of those interviews. Mm-hmm. And so that started about eight years ago. And that just re- really regenerated my interest in the festival because now I get to go watch all those Basically, that stuff I hated doing in high school and college, which was <laughs> <laughs> watch a movie and uh, yeah, be careful what you ask for. Thought around it. Exactly. Yeah. Now, now I actually am doing it for a living. So, you know, when I wanted to tell my English teacher, "Why are you wasting our time?" with, You know, it's 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 something I actually have to do. So I I watch all their content and then I I get to interview a lot of those people at the festival. Although we have a huge group of people doing that. Well, the, the festival is now a week long. It starts on October 26th. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, how do how do people participate? I mean, if you, maybe the listeners have just moved here and they're not really familiar with how they would participate, mm-hmm. what's the best way to get involved? Well, so we're, because we are so different, a lot of people, I think, think that you really, if you're not a writer, you shouldn't come to the conference. Oh, not at all. Yeah, I would say film fans should be at the con- at the conference. Yeah, if there's in, the, an, in the film festival. Yeah. I looked at Forrest Gump, and, and this was, I have to say this carefully. Um, my view of Forrest Gump changed dramatically when I actually got to interview the guy who wrote it mm-hmm. and was nominated for it, um, Eric Roth, and uh, won an Academy Award for it. He, um, he, it was like a completely different perspective. And I think that is, and I, again, I'm not a writer, I'm a fan. I love movies, and I love listening to people. There was nothing cooler than having Vince Gilligan dissect um, French Connection and talk about how it it informed Breaking Bad, like how his love of that movie became an impetus for his storytelling in this phenomenal TV show that like changed television, mm-hmm. right? And and that's a guy who came through the X Files machine. You know, so it's like really that kind of stuff. If you love any of those things, now I look, I love the X-Files. I always have. Mm-hmm. Now I watch them again and again mm-hmm. and look at them differently, having mm-hmm. heard a number of people that have come in from the X-Files mm-hmm. teams and, and talk about, you know, how they came up with those stories and why and what they, what they were thinking. So even if you're not um, planning to be a screenwriter or a playwright or a podcaster, uh, that it, it's just to me, rejuvenating and if you're creative at all Mm -hmm. it's just a it's a such a process thing it's a a great way of really looking at your craft which writers do i think writers are always breaking it apart and coming back to it and rewriting it more so than most creative processes Mm -hmm. i think oh i was gonna say the energy at the festival is infectious no matter what kind of creative pursuit you're in i really love the pitch competition (laughs) oh my gosh if you anybody it's just fun to watch even if you're never going to pitch anything and they get great feedback from the judges it, if you want to explain what the pitch competition is but i've i had a friend who went through it and it really it was just so much fun yeah, yeah. it's a it's a shameless um uh sort of 
theft of American Idol. But, <laughs> it's um, better though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, and what it is is people vie. They start on day one of the conference, and they start pitching in groups in front of various judges till they reach the top, say, 20, 15 or 20 pitches. And they're pitching their screenplay or television idea. And they have, what, 60 seconds? Yeah, they have yeah. 60 seconds. It's a, it's, and it, we modeled it after what people used to have to do in L.A. to try to get your story sold, you know. You have to go up there and pitch in front of a bunch of studio execs who really didn't care. And so, you know, we, we honed it basically to this – um, top roughly 20 and then they go do that in, in a bar in downtown in front of hundreds of people and with judges up on stage and they're judges they're like I think Michael Lawrence even done it you, you yeah make, yeah like big, big they're big writers and mm-hmm. producers who actually sometimes those pitches um, have turned into getting somebody's foot in the door to to get hired on something did it have any of them actually gotten made I don't know that a pitch has gotten made. I know a couple of them have, um, I know a couple of them actually are currently still being developed mm-hmm. with teams of people, but mm-hmm. but I don't think any of them has ever yet been made. I think even if you get cut in the first round, though, you will leave with great feedback from those judges because they don't just yeah. cut you off and say, oh, that was terrible. You don't get to move on. They are very thoughtful about mm-hmm. what they're telling you about here's what you should have done. Here's what was missing. Here's what have made me would have made me keep listening or wanting to hear more. And it's. It's very kind and thoughtful at the it, same time. It is. And, you know, it's, it's again, like a, this really funny thing about having, like, the writers are the stars of the festival. And so nobody, you know, the general public doesn't necessarily know their name. But to the audience that's coming who are mostly, you know, they are still mostly writers. Um, they're people, they are people who know their names. And they're happy to um, see them up there. And then writers tend to be more communal. Like, they care. They really care what, they remember how they got where they got. And they share it. And if they don't, we don't invite them back. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of this atmosphere that you were talking about, Sharon, is really, it's really there all the time. And people feel enveloped by it. They feel like it's family, you know, and we're really an inclusive place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so like people aren't as afraid to throw out their ideas in front of that where normally they'd be probably petrified to do that. I was just looking at the list of films you've got coming um, it seems like you've got a great lineup of, you know, like I said, both people you would know, people you wouldn't know. Do you have any observations on how, you know, you're talking about the inclusivity, the diversity of the the films. Mm-hmm. Do you have any overarching themes that you've seen this year or maybe how it's changed over the past five years? Um, let's see, overarching themes. Well, for a while, so, so I get caught up in, um, at this stage, I've just finished watching... Oh, well, about a hundred films oh, that are like being decided on as this one or this one or this one or this one. It gets me like an eye test, you know. Yeah, which one's Where you have to take it down to things that are so different. And wow. I, I would have to say, social responsibility seems to be a theme right now, or the lack thereof, and and also a little gloominess. Um, this year, it just seems you can sort of feel the trickle down from the last year mm-hmm. and a half or two, however long it takes to make a movie mm-hmm. um, of people's kind of general social discontent. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, uh, there's a couple of really great horror films. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a horror fan yourself? I do. I love horror. Um, I do love horror. I don't, I don't want to lie. I, I used to be that people in the office would, ask me not to talk about the movies I love um, <laughs> because I do like to be entertained and we don't just show we have independent films we have big Hollywood films I love 
I love entertaining stories, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter to me if they can be schlocky. Okay, and good. So it's there's not nothing wrong with too serious. Yeah. This no, is a, uh, no, I am mighty. No. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, no, that doesn't bother me. I mean, one of my favorite panels that I moderated was Lethal Weapon versus <laughs> Die Hard, and we had the writer for each of them. I can't believe I missed that. that I, sounds amazing. It was so much fun. It was a completely full audience. There were like 400 people there, and I, it was it was just the, the greatest. Okay, you know, because <laughs> who doesn't love that? That's, that's a really smart way to yeah to do that. I love those movies. Well, we were talking before we got on mic just about how, I mean, you you have some people who work with you who maybe haven't seen some eight you know eighties movies or mm-hmm. something, and you know basically like pre two thousand five, those movies are kind of dark. And I, I this is just kind of making me think about how Netflix, particularly, mm-hmm. but just the streaming services, it kind of becomes like those are the movies that exist, and and if it's not in that place then it almost as if it didn't exist and and i don't know i I really my heart does go out to like young people today because how do you watch 50 years worth of cinema so that you can be caught up and know what the french connection is i to have the context to know how it might inform breaking bad i wish you hadn't asked me that because that's my soapbox yeah i really (laughs) i should have asked you at the beginning of the interview (laughs) netflix and amazon make me crazy because and and not that they aren't giving us a lot of great stuff Mm -hmm. like the that mrs mazel's tv show oh my god that's one of my Mm -hmm. my daughter and i have watched that and we just became completely entranced right so there's there is definitely great content coming out on those and they were giving a lot of people opportunities or they were for a while now it just seems like it's getting into the same old thing like Mm -hmm. how many 300 million dollar deals for it like it's crazy Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but what they what they are doing unfortunately is curating and i don't think that that was their intent or lack of intent i think that what's happened is the the equipment that we watch on and the everything has changed so much and it's it's funneled into this tiny we have a hard time even getting copies of films for our retrospective series every year because because they haven't been transferred and they oh. don't exist anywhere. And you mean like a DVD, like an actual physical copy? I mean like you, yeah. you so so I I love DVDs and I still watch on DVDs and I would watch on VHS if I could because <laughs> there were a lot of things that weren't made into DVDs that I had on VH I had VHS tapes of. And yeah, they look crappy. But you could still see the heart of the film, right? Mm-hmm. And DVDs, now that that's going the way of the buffalo, that it's just what has now been culled by Amazon or Netflix mm-hmm. and put up on those services. And libraries in the past, probably like start about 10 to 20 years ago, when all of those studios were consolidating and everybody was selling off bits and pieces, the libraries were being ignored. So... The Academy and and a few like UCLA and a few places like that are preserving film, but not there's a whole lot of film that's not been preserved. Mm-hmm. There's a whole lot of film that's not been transferred. Mm. And that means they're not going to get to see it. Mm-hmm. And that's heartbreaking. It yeah. is heart it's heartbreaking to me. It really yeah. is heartbreaking to me. So I and it, and and even to the point where even at cinemas, you know, that show art house and older older films, you, they're not necessarily going to be able to find them either. We really almost can't find those films to show. It also makes me think of the demise of most video stores Mm -hmm. and even Blockbuster. You could go in there and browse Mm -hmm. and you would probably come and you could go to the classic section and you could find something that you might not have thought to watch otherwise. But if you're getting three movies for $5 or whatever it was back in the day, you take, you take some, yeah, you take a risk risk. and and you'd be exposed to something that you stumbled upon instead of it being, 
you know, I hate when I open my Netflix and it's like recommended for Sharon. And I'm like, you know, just let me. They find never what I get want. my recommendations right. <laughs> I don't know well, and then if there are like three thousand movies that you could also scroll into, you start a movie two minutes into it, you're like, I don't like it. Yeah. You're not invested in it that way either, and so you're going to miss out on a lot of content. And our viewing has changed too. You know, people don't want to watch. They don't want to give things time. They don't want a slow opening. They don't want to. You know, they're very unforgiving about stuff like that. As as an audience, we've all become that way. And I think it is because of the internet, largely. But you know, you got to think about if there if there were no crappy video stores, there would be no Quentin Tarantino. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, in what ways are viewers stronger now? Um, and I would say even extend that to to the screenwriters too. I mean, we are, it's this golden age of content. We can't mm-hmm. deny that it is also, it is also a golden age, while uh-huh. also like there's a yes. lot of scary stuff going on. Is, yeah. So that's got to be good for the industry as a whole. I think story has become much more considered in both television and film. Um, If you subtract out all of the Marvel movies, Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) which are the same same story, just my opinion. Um, But except for Black Panther, I fall asleep in the reclining chairs now. Yeah, when I go see those movies. (laughs) Well, you know, I have a, a I have a. A child that loves all of those films so we go to all of them and uh, you too take it, a nap <laughs> <laughs> even though i could write one of those scripts right now i think i'm pretty sure um but the but she, but that is that is a demand that i i would also say that some of the last three to four years of ladybird they wouldn't have made ladybird 10 or 12 years ago yeah great movie you know, they they wouldn't have made Call Me By Your Name 10 or 12 years ago. Maybe not, you know. And there's there's some really strong feature, indie features, um, that wouldn't have happened. You know, would would uh, Kenneth Lonergan have gotten to make um, uh, his... Oh. Uh, oh, my God, I can't believe I forgot it, but... Um, and yeah, um, we can do a pause here. Yeah. Alyssa... Yeah. We will do it, pop, yeah. <laughs> and then we'll restart it. What's the name of that movie? What is, are you talking about the one with... Um, yeah, Casey Affleck. Yes, um, Manchester by, by the, the sea. sea. Yeah, I mean, Kenneth Lonergan... Say, so start from Kenneth Lonergan. Oh, yeah. Kenneth Lonergan wouldn't have been able to make Manchester by the Sea if it hadn't been for funding from from one of those streaming services, you know? So, so all so. those indie movies... I mean, when I was in college in the early aughts, like, those were indie movies that were not getting mainstream play. But now... Like my parents in Southwest Missouri can go and watch right. Lady Bird. I mean, they have a freaking draft house, by the way, yeah. up there. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Well, well now yeah. Amazon is going to buy five movie theaters. So, what I would like, oh, whatever. Gosh. Once wow. they the uh, consolidation is yeah, is upon us. They're Skynet. Um, <laughs> so, well, in the meantime, you are going to keep hosting this amazing festival and having these conversations, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to this year. And thank you so much for coming yeah, in. Thank you. And now it's time for a toast, which is a little segment in which we bring awesome 360 staffers in to kind of recommend what they're jonesing about. And this week we have features editor Sharon Chapman and roving reporter himself, Joe Gross. So please, Do Joe, I rove? Do I do much <laughs> you roving? quite well. Yeah. Uh, what are you into currently at the moment? Um, let's see. The things that I am uh, recommending this week, I'll, uh, sort of two different categories of things. Uh, the first is the return of all of the goofy superhero shows on the CW, like Supergirl and The Flash, and um, what's the other one? It's Supergirl, The Flash, Arrow, which is not that goofy anymore, and um, the Lightning uh, one. No, oh, Legends of Tomorrow, DC's oh. Legends of Tomorrow, which is bananas. 
I find these shows incredibly relaxing. I can turn them on and depower my brain for an hour and find them completely enjoyable in a way that superhero movies I take themselves in, entirely too seriously in this regard. I mean, even the Marvel. I mean, the the DC ones are known sort of for being very dark and unpleasant, but even the Marvel ones take themselves very seriously as adventure stories. Uh, these programs do not. They require zero brain power, hmm. and uh, they are a lot of fun. I highly recommend The Flash. I think Supergirl is terrific. And the format, the weekly TV show format, I think suits superhero fiction much better than movies because of the, you know, there are 22 episodes, they come out frequently, they get through a lot of plot, uh, you're not waiting a year between movies. It's I, I find it really enjoyable and a lot of fun. Do you feel like in that same vein that maybe Agents, like, did you like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Because that was a Marvel TV show. I, you know, I, I gave it a swing and <laughs> it did not uh, click with me. I think I, I tried really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried really hard with Agent Carter. And I thought that was oh, a, gosh, actually a stronger that. show. I forgot about that show. Everybody yeah. forgot about that show. She's I think so that's funny. why it's not on anymore. <laughs> it, uh, people forgot about it while it was still on and that's mm-hmm. no good. Uh, but I think, you know, The Flash is great. And DC's Legends of Tomorrow is incredibly goofy like that is the closest to batman 66 i have seen on television in a long time it has a very strong live action saturday morning tv show vibe like you can watch it if you with your kids you can watch all these shows with your kids now that i think about it Hmm. um there there's some content here and there that might not be appropriate but for the most part they're pretty kid friendly and uh, they're just, on the whole, very pleasant and relaxing if you feel like not thinking at all. Uh, the other thing I have to recommend is the uh, Texas Book Festival is <laughs> coming up extremely soon. And uh, there is a book called Berlin uh, by a guy named Jason Lutz. It is a graphic novel, 22 years in the making. <laughs> uh, this guy has been working on this thing I think the idea was to get it done within a decade, and that just did not happen. It's uh, a lofty goal. It yeah, it was a um, it it is a chronicle of Berlin between the wars, uh, Marmar, the Weimar Weimar Republic years, and it is phenomenal. Hmm. And it just it finally finished up and is now available in a really nice hardback, uh, you know, stop a mugger uh, weight book. And uh, Lutz is going to be here at the Texas Book Festival talking about the book and probably trying to explain why it took him 22 years to finish this thing. (laughs) Uh, But it it was absolutely worth it. It's a phenomenal book, and uh, I highly recommend it. That's awesome. Sharon, what are you uh, jonesing on? I am really excited about a podcast that's actually a couple of years old. It's called Song Exploder. I recently discovered it, and I discovered it in kind of a funny way. I was really excited to listen to an episode of a different podcast that I'm not going to name that was going to feature one of my favorite musicians. I listened to that episode. I had saved it because I was so excited to listen to it and I listened to it and it made me so angry when I listened to it because the host did most of the talking and the musician was almost like his foil or his, you know. That's so frustrating. Why would you want to listen to that? It was so frustrating. I was so angry and in the middle of it, I finally just turned it off. And I flipped over to an episode of Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness. And oh. his guest was <laughs> Rishikesh Hairway, who is the host of Song Explorer. 
and I had never heard of it before then. And so they were talking about music and Song Exploder, and I thought, wow, this podcast sounds amazing. And so then I subscribed to it right away, and I started listening to it, and it's so good. It is. He is a musician himself, and he interviews an artist, and then he takes his voice out of the interview. So it's just the musician or the artist talking about a particular song, and they'll go like track by track. And so in like when St. Vincent was on talking about New York, she talked about the piano line throughout it and how the pianist who recorded it had this old piano that had felt covered uh, hammers, I think. And so then they just played the piano line and, and they just went through the whole thing. And at the very end, you hear the whole song. So you hear everything come together that you just heard about. And every episode is a different length. Like I think the shortest one I've listened to was eight minutes. The longest one was one with Solange that was 30 minutes talking about cranes in the sky. And so it's just really, really good. And I just love that it really features the artist. Sometimes there's a second voice on there. If there's a songwriter or a producer who was really instrumental in the song and then it'll be sort of a conversation, but it's just really, really well done. And Coincidentally, we're recording this right after the Austin City Limits Music Festival when Janelle Monet absolutely killed it. Mm. Everyone was saying that she should have been a headliner, and they just released an episode with her today, so I cannot wait to listen to that. And there's a million, well, not a million, but there's a lot of ACL artists who have done episodes of this. I just went back and made a list. and uh, so, But you can flip around. You don't have to listen to them in order. You can just kind of find your favorite artist and go with it. And I listen to artists that I don't even know that much about just because I think the format of the podcast is so good. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. I highly recommend it. I think I recommended it no less than 10 times during ACL Fest to people. (laughs) (laughs) When they're not listening to music. Exactly. Um, So we've got shows, we have podcasts, we have books. I'm going to recommend uh, a movie. Uh, I'm going to recommend Suspiria. That was the secret screening at uh, Fantastic Fest this past year. And it's really... It's like the original, but not at all like the original. Um, it's like, I had so many friends coming out of there being like, I feel like this movie was made for me. Um, I, I I like watching films and then going back and watching the trailer. And I feel like they did a good job of not revealing too much in the trailers. But then I also haven't seen the TV spot, so I don't know what's going on there. But it's, it's, it's creepy, but it's like mildly like, I mean, but it's, it's, it's acceptable gory. I don't know. Like it's a gory where it's just like, I mean, you're not going to be too freaked out. It's just like jarring gory. So I just saw this trailer and it terrified me, but it also intrigued it. me. It's not my kind of movie. I will say I do not love a gory psychological thriller, which is what it looked like to me, yeah, but it also looked so. incredibly well done and I was intrigued by it. So I'm- it is extremely well done and all the characters have like a really cool chemistry and just like Dakota John- uh, Johnson. That's is it right. Dakota yeah. Johnson? Yep. Which is so weird to me because that's Nash Bridges' daughter. I could never get over that. <laughs> and she was in Shades of Grey. And or, she's in... Is that what it's called? Yeah. Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey, yes. Yeah. And she's in Bad Times at El Royale, which is... I mean, she's just... This is the year of the Dakota Johnson. Um, I don't know. She just... This is like cool, like blank canvas type thing. And then like once she kind of like reveals her true self, you're like, really? And I don't know. It's really super interesting. Uh, and then I'm also going to recommend, because you reminded me just now, I love John Mayer's Instagram feed. <laughs> he is currently on this new spiel. Like, he actually grew up kind of wanting to be a comedy writer for Conan O'Brien. And what? for a small stint, he did get to host the show. But, like, 
his humor is so interesting that like he now he's taken to Instagram and like has this like Instagram TV thing where he's calling it current mood with John Mayer <laughs> and he like just sets up the live and he has like a wall of stuffed animals and a rainbow and he just goes off. He was talking about fruit in his Instagram post. He gives like a great recipe for apple cider. It's like, what is happening? It's been so interesting to see his journey. And I don't, he, he goes, a, I don't know. He kind of like talks from a, I've been to the top of the mountain. I've seen the valleys. So like, what am I going to lose? <laughs> so John Mayer is a really interesting character on Instagram. It's not, it's not boring. Yeah. Huh. Well, he's had a real interesting career, right? Oh, because, totally. And, and including in the tabloids because of his love life. Absolutely. And also touring with the what Grateful Dead and his, yeah, his guitar prowess is, yeah. I think, universally acknowledged. So he just is sort of an interesting character. Yeah. He's an, he, he's had a very odd career and, um, does seem like a genuinely strange guy. Yeah. He's got at least one or two songs that are probably played at weddings regularly. Oh, I totally. would imagine. Yeah, totally. That daughter's one. He was oh, on the daughter's one. Yeah. Yes. He was on a podcast with Dan Harmon where Dan Harmon's like a character of his own and like they just like hash it out and just like reveal like, you know, I was like this and this and this and this and like you kind of like see John Human. I mean, John Mayer is like a human. And I don't know, coming from that uh, episode with Dan Harmon and John Mayer, it's like some podcast that he has and then coming to like his Instagram feed, it's been like kind of would actually like like to meet this guy <laughs> that's really cool. interesting because you know he is good friends with andy cohen who is all over bravo oh, tv yeah, that's right. and i'm a big fan of bravo and andy cohen's talk show and he's had john mayer on there multiple times mm-hmm. and i think john mayer if i'm remembering right hosted when they did a special episode for andy cohen's 50th birthday so i can see what you're saying he, he was a good host and he kept things going and yeah. he was had good banter and a lot of charisma of course so, so now you can see him on current move with john mayer on the instas Cool. Well, thanks so much for your recommendations, guys. Thank you. Thanks. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. And thanks to our sponsor, Hilton Austin. Check out the Austin 360 Instagram and Facebook for more about life in Austin. And hey, talk to us on Twitter. We're at loveaustin360. And please, leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find our podcast. I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, is a production of the feature staff at the Austin American Statesman, and the show was produced by Alyssa Vidales and myself, Addie Broyles. Our theme music is from local band Hardproof, which you should definitely check out at hardproofmusic.com. You can find everything you'd ever want to know about this show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. If you want to pitch us an idea for the show or give us some feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com or leave us a voicemail at 512-912-2504. We couldn't do the show without you, dear listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your extra bottles of water. Until next week, we'll see you strolling down 6th Street in your epic Halloween costumes. (laughs) 